right, welcome back to Unfeigned Christianity, where we are reconciling our human experiences with God and His Word so that we can love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. There's perhaps no human experience more disillusioning than when you're struggling with sexual confusion or sexual bondage or sexual gender dysphoria. A couple of months ago, I interviewed Darnell Rohr and Abram Martin on their experience as men who face same-sex attraction. I think we can all identify with certain sexual struggles of one kind or another. But one that doesn't get talked about a whole lot is when someone's facing same-sex attraction. How should Christians think about same-sex attraction? How should we respond to people who face same-sex attraction? We get into all of that and more in today's episode. Just as a way of reminder, this was originally recorded for my members at Patreon. So what you are getting today is an abbreviated version of the interview. If you would like to access the whole interview, consider becoming a member on Patreon. Just visit www.asherwhitmer forward slash member. You can sign up for $10 a month and access all expanded versions of these episodes as well as deep dive essays twice a month. So without too much more ado, let's get into my interview with Abram and Darnell. We have Darnell Rohr from Pennsylvania and Abram Martin from Texas. Thank you guys for joining me this evening. Hey, it's good to be here. I invited them on to uh, discuss uh, same-sex attraction and just uh, sexuality, gender, the, the different complexities that are involved in that. Maybe just to give a little primer, if you are completely new to this conversation, I want to just clarify that I think all three of us would uphold a historically Christian view of marriage as being between a man and a woman for life. Um, I know that's that's a place where I am at, but I've also discovered, and I think largely in writing about my own sexual journey and and um, struggling with lust and so forth, I started getting questions about guys who deal with same-sex attraction. And that kind of opened my eyes to, to the reality that there's a significant number of us who deal with this. A lot of our books on sexuality and, and purity and so forth don't always give a very uh, fair representation of what it's like to struggle with same-sex attraction. Um, I, think, I think maybe I'll just leave it at that. And so that's, that's kind of why... I'm wanting to to enter this conversation and why don't we just uh, maybe Abram I'll start with you and if you want to just give a little introduction to your own journey um Abram has shared on the uh, that Jesus podcast with um Drew Latin and Titus Kipfer they are uh good friends of mine as well and so I, I I don't hesitate at all to give a shout out to them I think I think you shared more extensively in two different episodes on there that I will link afterward. Once we get off of this, I will link uh, those episodes to it. But yeah, Abram, why don't you just um, share at least a brief introduction to to some of your journey and how you? I guess maybe one of the questions I would have is to get us going is how when did you discover that you were same sex attraction? What what was that experience like? Yeah, I think for me, like I first probably started recognizing that I was different than other boys, I would say around 10 or 11. And probably as I, you know, what got to more the age of 14, 15, I realized that as the other guys were starting to become attracted to girls and they talk about that, like that was not part of my experience. And I've kind of felt towards guys like, they talk, you know, they felt about girls. And I started to sense that I had an attraction to guys. Yeah, I think really probably around 13 or 14. And at that time, like I knew a little bit what the term gay meant. Like I knew that, yeah. I mean, I learned that on the school playground where most, you know, where I learned about a lot of things. <laughs> and uh, so I think 
as I got into my lower teens, uh, mid teens, I recognized that, that I am attracted to guys that I am gay in a sense. Like I, I knew that word. I knew that was probably me, but I tried, I definitely didn't want anybody else to know at that time I was already addicted to pornography and I, you know, as far as I was going to make sure nobody ever found out what type of pornography I looked at. Um, so it wasn't, you know, there was no like, um, and then I, around 17, um, I started acting out sexually with another guy. So that was, and I talk a lot about that in my interview on TJP. So I'll, I'll kind of, I'll let people go listen to that more in depth there. But so that was really, that went on until I was in my night, 19 or 20. And then around that time is when um, I left the church I was a part of. And there were some other things in my life that changed. And I, I stopped acting out sexually, but I'm, you know, was still addicted to pornography for a number of years after that. And so that's kind of been my journey. So it's been pretty early on that I'd known that I'm attracted to guys and it wasn't something that, you know, as much as I tried to change all of those things, my addiction, you know, Asher, your book has been pretty helpful, uh, was helpful in my journey. Uh, uh, and so there's been a lot of things that have been helpful, but just like what you said, like a lot of the books that deal with pornography, kind of point you towards, well, just, you know, figure out how to, to cure this until you can be married to a woman. And like, let's, let's get this behind you so that you can be married to a woman and fulfill your urges that way. And I, I was always like, well, there really doesn't address my situation where what I am attracted to and what my addiction, my problem with lust is, it's not something that, you know, with my reading of scripture, with my convictions that I can ever live those out um, to. So I think that's something that a lot of those books didn't address, or if they did, it was just a little passing kind of paragraph. Mm. And, and so it was really, that was kind of hard, I think, to, to not really know and to not know who I could talk to about it. You know, it was, I, I didn't know if I could, could I trust my pastor or couldn't I? You know, could I, if I was going to tell some of my friends, like I could tell them about the pornography addiction and most of them had their own pornography addiction or had in the past. And so we were able to have conversations about that. But I, there was always that lingering, like, if I tell them more about myself, like, is that, is that going to be the line? Like, is that, is that where the rejection is going to come in? And so fearing that rejection, like, that's for me why I did the podcast with TJP. That's why I'm ready to talk about it now is if I can help a 17 or 18 year old young guy that's, that's, you know, coming of age and he's, he knows these things and he doesn't know who he can trust. He doesn't know, like he, there's no one he can look to, you know, like mm. there was no one I knew in the Mennonite world that that's, mm. that was open about, uh, experiencing same-sex attraction or struggling with that um, there you know there just wasn't and honestly I think maybe Asher for you like when you were growing up it was maybe the same way with pornography where you didn't know a lot of guys that were open about their past addiction to pornography um, so I think I think those are conversations that are going to need to be had and continue to need to be had as we go forward because the world's having them and if we're not having them in the church, um, they're, you know, it, it's, it's going to just be, be increasingly harder and it's just, it's going to be increasingly harder to avoid the conversation too, like for yeah. people that don't want to have it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple questions to jump on quick and then, uh, I'll get to Darnell, but I just, just to, to hear you a little bit more on it. Um, I, I completely agree with you that, we need to be having these conversations so that because they the people and our young people and people coming after us are going to face it more and more because the world's talking about it what would you say caused the fear of rejection like was it just the lack of not having the conversation or were there things being communicated 
through uh, one-on-one dialogue or even through over the pulpit and messages or, or in some of the books, like, can you identify something or was it just kind of a general fear of being rejected? Like, like we all do just like me opening up about pornography. Like that is a scary thing, but I'm just curious, what, is there more that kind of fed that, or is it just the, the mystery of it all? I think, I think definitely just recognizing that it's different and, and knowing that for most people, it's not their experience and it, you just don't know how people are going to react. And I mean, I might've heard one sermon preached again, you know, where that was specifically mentioned uh, in my one or two, you know, since like growing up, sexuality was never mentioned in sermons at all. And then when I left the old order setting, you know, you'd hear it mentioned, but homosexuality specifically, maybe twice in a sermon. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it wasn't really that you were getting sermon after sermon on the culture war or, you know, where, you know, the gay agenda was being mentioned. Like you, you rarely heard that. Um, I think more just, um, you know, even when it came up on the school playground, it was always making fun of people. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of mocking. There was a lot of joking about, you know, where guys are kidding each other about being gay and, and all of those things. Like it was more of that. So it was more just people's conversation, their attitude, um, the way they made that made the way made a joke out of it. Like that, that more kind of showed it set the message, whether they wanted it to or not, it set the message that that this is something that is different it's weird they don't understand it and that you know it's those they it was kind of references those people and so um it just it didn't feel safe like you didn't feel safe to to tell those people because you didn't know how they're going to react um and so you know that's i think that's one of the things where it's hard for other people to realize like well you know i made this joke and it was just a joke, like, yeah, and I knew it was just a joke, but it was also, it also kind of sent a message that I don't know, like, is this person safe now? Because I've, I've heard them make these comments and, and they can, in their mind, they were never addressing them at me. You know, it, I always think about it differently because like, I know of people that will make racial jokes that would never make those jokes in front of a black person, but the difference is with gay, like you don't know who's gay, who's same sex attracted and who isn't like, you just don't. And so you might be a preacher preaching a sermon about homosexuality and you're referencing those people out there. And you might have a young guy or a young girl in your congregation that experiences that. And they might be internalizing everything you're saying. Um, And I think it's the same way when you're telling a joke or when you're making some kind of comment, like, whether it's online or not, like there's probably people reading that comment that are same sex attracted. And now you just sent the message that you're not a safe person because, because you made a joke about something that to them is very personal. Yeah. Darnell, why don't you jump in and uh, share some of your experience or, or maybe at least, yeah. When, at what age did you discover that you face some same sex attractions? Okay, so it's been a little bit of a journey for me to even narrow that down. But I would say probably the first experience I remember was probably around eight or ten. I stumbled across pornographic material that I wasn't digging out even, and it was it was same sex, yeah, pornography. But Mm. and I realized. Like looking back, like that was that was extremely pleasurable for me. Um, there's probably multiple reasons for that because at a young age it's just very overstimulating. But but looking back, I would say that's that's probably the first the first time that I yeah. And even at that point, I didn't I had no idea what gay was and sexuality wasn't something that was talked about. So I didn't know what that looked like until probably 12, 14, as I began to experiment and 
dig deeper into, yeah, whatever forms of satisfaction I could find. Um, yeah, I heard the jokes, a lot of jokes. Um, I was super sensitive, so I picked up a lot. But yeah, to my story, um, the first time that I actually like talked to someone about it, I think was 16 years old. Um, it was extremely difficult to to see myself talking out loud about it. It wasn't the fact that I was finally ready to, it wasn't the fact that I trusted somebody necessarily, but I was, I, I could not physically carry it myself anymore. I think that was, hmm. that was what, that was what caused me to step out, even though I didn't really have full trust to share. And it ended up being a good experience for me, which I'm very grateful. But I've had a first, yeah, fairly good first experience with talking about it. That's kind of yeah. an overview. Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to get some some people the link here who are wondering how to access the, the live. Yeah, thanks for sharing. What what would you say? I'm trying to so the, the question I want to ask is what causes um same-sex attraction? You you both talk about dealing with same-sex pornography and that being kind early on. I forget uh Abram, I should have been listening better. Was that was that what got you is that kind of what woke you up to it as well? Or it was um, not necessarily. I mean, I think it was like, I kind of knew it before I ever okay. accessed pornography because I don't yeah. think I saw my first pornography until I was like 15. Okay. So, um, and I, I would have known already at 10 or so that I was same sex attracted. So yeah, it definitely like, it was kind of there and I didn't really have words for it at that time. Like it just, I just knew that I was different and I just knew that, you know, the way other guys or the way the guys talked about girls and girls they liked and, and whatever, like girls they thought were hot or whatever that meant, hmm. um, that that was kind of how I felt about guys. Like that yeah. was, yeah. So that was, that was kind of what I knew. And then, yeah, the first pornography was around 15 and that like, and that was a magazine beside the road that I found that had kind of both in like both types of pornography in there. And I knew like, or well, I don't know if it was both types, but it just like I, it was both male and female and I was drawn to the male. So that was kind of when it really like settled in that, okay, yeah, this is what I've known. I've been different, like, but this is what it is. Like, yeah. 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 I, my stereotype that I would have lived with for a lot of my growing up is that someone who um, is same-sex attracted had a really passive dad and a really aggressive mo mother and maybe experienced some kind of sexual abuse at some point in their life. And I've, I've just discovered as I hear more and more firsthand accounts that like, that's not always the case. I mean, one, one of the guys that reached out to me was like his, his family is really healthy. He does not have a passive dad. His mom is, he's never been sexually abused. And so I'm just curious. Um, so the, the question is what causes sexual same-sex mm -hmm. attraction? But, but then we also kind of have to talk about like, what is attraction as opposed to, mm -hmm. um, yeah, may, maybe, maybe, maybe those are two different questions and we'll get into the second one. Um, but as opposed to lust and sexual desire mm. and attraction, like how, how do we mm -hmm. differentiate? Is it even right to differentiate between all of those? But maybe just to back up a little bit, like what causes same-sex attraction? What is your guys' take on? Yeah, I mean, I think I think those one of the things that I say to push back against that that stereotype or that thing that's long been promulgated about about you know, the daddy issues thing. Like there's many, many guys I know that are very straight that have a ton of daddy issues and they medicate for on those issues with, by either relationships with women, with multiple women or acting out with pornography or anger issues or like a whole host of things. And they're very straight. 
So this idea that a certain type of daddy issue as a passive dad or an absent dad somehow causes homosexuality, the hot, the rate of homosexuality should be a whole lot higher than it is. If that's the case, like, so that to me just doesn't, it doesn't fly at all. Um, the, the whole thing about an overbearing mom, like, I, I don't know, like, or, or even guys that, you know, they'll say that guys that are more drawn to like where their mom kind of sheltered them or any of those things. Like, I, again, I don't think those, that is an indication at all. You know, I, I mean, I think every little boy needs his mom and I'm sure moms can overdo it in, in some of those things. But the idea that like the part that always annoys me about that is it makes parents who have gay children or same sex attracted children, like it makes them feel guilty. Mm. And the mom's like, well, I showed him too much affection. No, like, is, is there really such a thing? Like, is, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that that's the problem. That's the biggest problem I have is it makes get parents feel guilty. And that's just not necessary. Like, um, the, what causes it for me, what I look at it is that it's probably a combination of things. It probably is somewhat genetic. Uh, there is, that's been long research. It's, the evidence is not as conclusive as some people would like it to be. So I don't think we can say it's primarily genetic. Uh, there's probably something to do with very, very early on in childhood. And this is like from when the child is still in the mother's womb to its first like three to four years of life, that there's something that happens, something that I, I'm not sure. Like the, there's, there's some, there's some conclude, there's something. So I think either way, like, I think it's something that if it, if it is something that's not genetic, or if it's a combination of both, it's something that happens very early in childhood, like at three or four, that kind of sets that trajectory. Yeah. And Just, what I would say, like for myself, like I've had, I've had, um, I've never really had like a really great relationship with my dad. And that has definitely given me problems. It's definitely, I think, part of what caused me to act out. But I don't know that that has anything to do with my orientation. Hmm. Um, because again, like I said, to me, the evidence there is that there should be a whole lot more gay guys out there than there are. Yeah. If if it if daddy issues or is what causes it. So, mm -hmm. just just to clarify a little bit, when you say genetic, that it's somewhat or maybe mostly genetic. Are are you saying um, biological? Or when when I hear genetic, I think like your kids will now struggle with it more, mm. more and more. Yeah, like runs in the family. It's not that uh, yeah. as much as it is just something that, that, that happens as, yeah. I mean, there's, there's some certain, certain things that are passed down genetically that only show up in, in, in certain, like there's something that you can pass to your children genetically that might not show up till four generations later or whatever. Like there's, mm -hmm. so I'm not sure, like, again, I, I'd have to go back and look at, there's, there's, I've read different opinions on that. And I don't think there's a, a ton of evidence that there is something biological or genetic that's passed down. Um, at the same time, so I think it probably has more to do with, um, it could have something to do with uh, a certain condition in the womb. Like there's been, there's been different scientific hypotheses mm -hmm. that I've read that have come to different conclusions on that. So it's, yeah. it's not the evidence, like kind of the, the science around that still pretty inconclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, um, I, I can echo that I've done, I'm sure you've done more reading than I have, but some, some of what I've done as well is has showed that it's basically, you know, the whole nature versus nurture mm -hmm. debate or whatever. It's, it's kind of, you have to acknowledge that there's aspects of both. In mm -hmm. it. Well, and I think here's, here's the reason people want to have this discussion. And I think this is to me, what it comes down to is people, certain kind of people will, the reason they want to really propagate the whole daddy issues theory and, you know, the strong, the overbearing mother theory is because they then want to say, well, if you can go back and you can do, you know, counseling to, heal those areas it'll make you straight 
And that's the, that's the part that I think has been really harmful um, because whatever causes it, whatever, you know, whether it's, yeah, whatever that is, the dip, I think the thing is that, that it's hard for people to accept, including ourselves, is that this might be something I experienced the rest of my life. Like God has not promised that he'll take this away from me. And that's, I think, what people have a lot harder time with. They, they, they want to, this to be something that they can fix. And, and if, they can, if they can come up with a theory about what causes it, and then they can come up with a theory that reverses that, then that's kind of, that's, I think, where, why this is, for some people, this is such a big deal uh, in, in that they're having to be this cause or something that we can, or it's something they can prevent. You know, like, which again, like, you know, that that's part of comes back to parents being guilty. Like parents are already going to be guilty about enough stuff. They don't need to to have the guilt of I've turned my son gay. Yeah, I I would just echo parts of that. Um, I'm the stereotypical guy. I mean, I grew up in a pretty difficult home situation. And so that that has been a lot of a lot of some of like the first responses is okay so so let's look at your life let's let's go back and let's and I'm at the place now where I'm like I'm not sure if I care about the cause necessarily because mm. I think earlier on I did and I'm not saying it's an unimportant question but there's so much more to the conversation that that if we get hung up on this, on this question, I see people not moving forward. And I think that's that's a lot. It's like, so cause, yeah, I think it's as wide as you can spread your arms, I think there's there's a lot that plays into it. Um, and I often like when a writer that I'm reading quotes something that that connects with what I already believe. And Bill Henson would 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 uh, I'm becoming very fond of him in his guiding families book um and he said the origins of sexual orientation and gender identity are highly complex multifactorial and likely rooted in both nurture and nature for any one person it can be impossible to know the exact cause i propose that we shift our focus from causation to compassion mm. so for me Again, I'm not against the question of cause, but yeah, it's it's like, okay, when I hear my friends say, or people that are trying, that are, that are learning to walk, and they're like, well, it's like, what, what do you get then? I'm like, okay, like, I'm beyond that. Some people aren't, but for me, personally, my journey, let's move forward. Hey, folks, I just wanted to take this time and say thank you for listening. It is fun for me to be able to sit down and interview people, but I really hope that these interviews and these podcast episodes are helpful to you in your journey as you sort through issues and, and try to reconcile your human experiences with God and what he says through his word. I would love to hear feedback from you. Obviously, every episode has an email address in the description. So if you want to shoot me an email message, let me know what you're thinking, what has stood out to you, whether positive or negative. Another really helpful way is to rate and review it on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. If it's on iTunes, I know you have the capability of rating it as well as leaving a review. I would love to hear whether it's good or negative feedback. But even if all you can do is give a thumbs up or a star rating, go ahead and do that. Whether it's one star or five stars, a thumbs up or thumbs down, that helps me know kind of where you guys are at and how it's landing on you guys and whether or not these are being helpful and meaningful for you. It is my desire to facilitate a safe place for processing through some fairly deep issues in life. And I hope that it's been that for you. I'd love to hear what your experience has been like with Unfeigned Christianity Podcast. Thanks for taking the time to give a response. Thanks for taking the time to listen. It is a privilege to be able to provide these each week for you all. So that that leads me to the third question and or the second question. Are we two questions in? <laughs> We're already like 40 minutes in. And, um, but this is, this is a question that I have gotten probably the most private messaging about anytime I sh share a, a social media post or um, 
link somebody else's writing on it or something that at all gives space for I mean, even even in the terminology that we've used already this evening, like some people would take issue with that um, same sex attraction or uh, gay uh, is is same sex attraction is probably in a more palatable term than gay, even um, where it feels like we are embracing something that is wrong, like the saying or the, the way it goes is that scripture is clear, like this is sin. This is lust, and you're supposed to to overcome lust, and so and, and so. Then the the thing I find tricky in those conversations is how do I help them explore the difference between lust and just general attraction? Like, is is attraction lust? Like, is is a desire that um, like we don't even have control over? And this this is gay straight people period like any kind of desire you you don't have that moment of like oh i'm gonna choose to want this you just all of a sudden discover that it's in there is that a sign of sin in our life or evil having touched us or is is lust something something else what are you guys's response or thoughts on that i'll let you go first or now i've been going okay. first all the yeah, well, I was I was having a hard time keeping quiet. Um, so I was thinking about this this morning as I was drinking coffee and preparing for this, and I'm like, so my brother's married. He he married a wonderful girl, and but like, what would it have been like for me to tell him to? Or how did he get married? Like like how did he begin his relationship? Like like the attraction piece was not wrong for him because he was pursuing and i'm not sure i'm probably going to butch in it but he was pursuing something that was accepted and normal in our culture so i guess when we if we're going to ask yeah if attraction's wrong then we're going to, have to take a deep look at, at all our straight young guys that are pursuing marriage and try and figure out like like what does that look like for them um Attraction also has various different levels, like emotional, physical, um, and beauty. Beauty's God created. I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of rambling here, but like, like, I don't think attraction is at all the same as lust. I think, I think we can set up healthy boundaries between the two. Um, yeah, that's yeah. All right now. Yeah, I think like I, one of the things that I, that's kind of why I prefer the term orientation because orientation is instead of attraction, um, maybe because, and that's why like for me, again, like the whole terminology thing, like to me, I use gay and same-sex attracted interchangeably for a reason. And that is because I don't think there's a huge difference between the terms. I know to some people there's like this big gulf and, and there's this like connotation of identity with one or, or even with both. But, you know, there are critics that would say it's about the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree with you, except I don't think that, that it's a big problem to use either one. But I like to think, you know, of it as orientation because there is a, I think lost is one of those things that it would if it could, you know, like, um, so in some of those things, like I think even straight guys, they know the difference between feeling attraction to a girl or like having a girl that they see that they're like, oh, that she's beautiful or, you know, there's attraction versus lust. Like lust is, is fantasizing a lot of times. Like lust is if, if a guy's lusting after a girl, he's generally going to be fantasizing about seeing her unclothed or, you know, if she is already scantily clad, he's fantasizing about what she would look like with those clothes removed or whatever, like what it would be like to have sex with her. Like that's lust. And so I think it's, to me, it's kind of the same way. Like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, if I notice, like even notice, like if I just like 
I'm drawn towards guys or I'm, I'm like oriented or the term orientation, like I'm oriented towards like my emotional attachment is going to be more to guys than it is to girls. Not saying that I can't have good friendships with girls, but all of those things, like it, it's, there's going to be a difference. Like for me to have a, a connection, to, to see the beauties of something, um, it's going to be different. Yeah. So sorry, there's some background noise there. Yeah, no worries. What is, what is one thing that each of you would love your, your friends, your church community, and maybe particularly people who are straight, um, whether they're married or single or whatever, it doesn't really matter. Like, what is something that you would like, what would you like them to know? Or like, as far as walk, and I'm not just asking this for yourselves, but like for other, for us, as we walk with other people, in our lives that's gonna really depend on the individual and so what i'm gonna say is get to know that person like what are their interests what are their hobbies what are their what's their personality like i'm somebody who loves deep conversations with people more one-on-one like so i can have a or a small group you know and and i can share in a big group i have no if i try you know but there's something about having a, a group of two people or just with, with one other person and just like having a heart to heart, just really kind of getting, having deep conversations. Like that's something I really enjoy. I really enjoy literature. So if you ask me what book I've been reading lately, like that's, that's, that's what's one way to get right to my soul. Like you're going to make my heart real happy if you do that. So all of those things, I think like that's something where I would say like learn to know, just like a guy that loves hunting. If you ask him like, Hey, what, like, I heard you shot a big buck. Tell me that story. Like you're going to make his day by asking him that. Uh, I think the same way, like get to know whoever this person is and their interest in things outside, like show interest in them and in their life. And then as you do that, you can get on the top, the, the topic of sexuality and once they trust you, I think most of us are going to be fair. Like, we're going to want people to once in a while just ask, how's it going? Like, yeah. what, what are some things, what are things I can do to better walk alongside you? Like, you know, it, those are the questions that I haven't really been asked. And yeah. I would love, I would love to have more people in my life ask those questions. And maybe it's something mm-hmm. I need to ask of other people, you know, maybe like, as, as I'm saying that I'm indicting myself because I don't ask other people that. So I think those are things that that's, that's kind of the, yeah, just, just to make it short and sweet. Like, that's what I would say, like just show an interest in that person. And as you do that, maybe ask like, Hey, how can I better, like, how can I be a better friend? How can I better walk alongside? Yeah. Hey listeners, I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about the Unfeigned Christianity membership program. If you've been enjoying this conversation, you may be interested in learning about the Unfeigned Christianity membership program. As a part of the membership program, you receive expanded versions of podcast interviews such as this. Another thing that members get is two deep dive essays a month that look at something Christians are wrestling through right now. We have a lot of essays already published that you'll receive access to such as, is it wrong for Christians to masturbate? Thinking through the Black Lives Matter movement, what Ravi's fall tells us about how we handle brokenness in the church, and many more types of deep dive essays. If this sounds like something you're interested in, visit www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member and become a member today. It's as cheap as $10 a month. That gives you access again to expanded podcast episodes as well as deep dive essays twice a month and everything that's in the archives. Again, the address is www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. How would you respond to someone? I've had this this statement or question presented to me twice in the last year when they uh that they're not going to relate to someone who's same-sex attracted in the same way as they would other guys because they don't want to create a temptation Mm. or create a Mm. whatever um yeah i mean i I don't really know like Yeah, I mean the whole that whole thing of like one, 
it kind of comes back to what I said. I think I said it on TJP where I'm like, don't flatter yourself. Like we're not attracted to every guy. <laughs> so chances are we're not attracted to you anyway. Um, but at the same time, like, I think there's, you can have a very close friendship with someone and have healthy boundaries. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know that for the straight guy that has a friend, a close friend who's same sex attracted, like, in short of like undressing in front of him or suggesting they go skinny dipping, like there's some of those things that, yeah, that probably is not a smart idea. I, honestly, I don't see, think that's really a, a great idea regardless, but you know, some of those things like you, you might want to interact a little differently. I don't know, but for the most part, I would say treat it just like you would anyone else. And, mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of guy friends that have done that, that know about my sexuality and I, I have not experienced them treating me any differently. And that has meant a whole lot, you know, because like I, it comes back to like, if I lost after a guy, that is not, that, that falls back on me. Like that's my issue to deal with. That's my repentance that I have to do. Like I can't blame him for like, well, you know, for my lust. And we, we talk a lot about that in purity culture. Like guys can't blame no matter what the woman or the girl does or how she dresses, like if a guy lusts, it's his fault. He can't blame, he can't blame the woman. And and I think it's the same thing, you know, like I've never, so yeah, I think, you know, what I would say to somebody like that is if they, if they're worried about that is I honestly would just say, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Like, um, yeah, I, I think, and, and if you if you have something that concerns you, like talk about it with that person. You know, if if there is something that that you're not comfortable with, let's say he wants, you know, I'm just going to use an example here. Let's say he wants to cuddle, and you're like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. Like that's that's fine. Like I think that's something that. But let's say let's say he's somebody that you know likes a you know is somebody that. You know, some of us are huggers and some of us aren't, you know, just in general. I'm not talking about same sex attraction. Like, and if you know that somebody like there should be no reason that you shouldn't as a, you know, be able to give him a good like a give him a, a big old hug, you know, like it doesn't have to be lingering. It doesn't have to be cuddling. Um, but, you know, that's something that like you should if you hug other guys it shouldn't matter if that those other guys are are same sex attracted or not. Like that's something I think we all, we can, we can show affection in that way and it not in any way compromise our, our convictions or theirs or make cause them to lust. Like, I don't think um, a a good quick hug is going to cause them to lust. And so that's something like in that way, I would say treat them the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Darnell, what what do you have to, to add? What would you like people to know? So I'm going to just tie right into that question because that's been a big deal for me. Um, growing up, I was always different. Like, like, like I told myself and believed that I was different. And so it's it, it's not, it's going to vary for situation, but for me, I would say treat me like any other guy that you have a relationship with. Give me that honor of of being the same. Um, like I said, every situation is different, but there's something there's something very um, just comforting when you can tell that somebody else is is fearful of you because you're not supposed to, I mean, you're not a fearful person just because it's something that you didn't choose and that. So, but also build when you're building relationships. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with asking, asking them, giving them also honoring them by asking them if there's something that's difficult or that they're struggling with. Um, mm. But what would I want um, the, the church or my friends to know? Um, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one thing, but, but I would say 
listen to learn. Um, listen to the end of the story, till the end of the story. Um, I find myself putting out test fingers or test probes in conversations to get an idea of where someone's going to come across regarding gender and sexuality before I am vulnerable and share my heart. And I'm surprised at how many people reveal where they are before I'm even done having the conversation. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's easy to do that. I do that in other situations. So I'm acknowledging it's, it's easy to do that. But, but if we're going to get anywhere, yeah, we have to listen and listen and listen before we even try to walk forward. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A couple little things I'm going to just throw in there. Like I've, since doing the podcast, I've talked to, I think it's seven or eight guys now in total that have experienced same-sex attraction. And then some of those that know other guys. And so it's somewhere in that ballpark. And there's a couple of things that I think I've seen kind of the same. And one is what Darnell said, like most of them have said at some point, all I ever wanted was to just be normal. Mm. And all like growing up, whatever, like I just wanted to be just like all the other guys. And so I think that's where like, if you treat us just like another guy, you're honoring us in a way that most of us would not be able to express using words. Like mm-hmm. that's very true. And, and so I think that's something, that's the first thing. Um, that's some, like a heart cry that I've heard from almost across the board is I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to be like the other guys. I didn't want to be different. Um, And the other one that I think is also sad is that some of them, their pastors know, some of them have told their pastors, but most of them expressed something to the line of, I don't trust my pastors. I've not had this conversation with them. They know, but we've never really talked about it or we don't ever talk about it or they don't ever, you know, like if my pastor would be preparing a sermon on this topic of sexuality and he would come and ask me a question. Like I have a pretty good relationship with my pastor and we've had this conversation uh, at different times. And so I, I'm really happy with that. And, and I'm really like encouraged by that, by the conversations that we've had. But, you know, I think those are things like if, if my pastor would feel comfortable once coming to me and asking some questions, because let's say he is preparing a sermon on sexuality I think those kind of things, like, I think that's where I would kind of make this appeal to pastors is you don't know, you know, if you preach a sermon on sexuality, like do it in a way that's compassionate, doing it in a way that what, if you're talking about gender identity, if you're talking about same sex attraction, you're whatever it is, Mm -hmm. expect that someone or a couple people in your congregation experience this and talk about it in that way. You know, don't talk about it as this out there or this, like talk about it, be informed, listen. And then when you do talk about it, talk about it in a way that there might be somebody experiencing that just like you would in a sermon on depression. You know, you, you're, you, if you're going to do a sermon on depression, you're not going to talk about it in this hypothetical, uh, yes, this is some people that struggle with this. You're going to kind of expect there might be some people in your congregation that can really relate to this. And so you're going to want to do it in a compassionate, informed way when you talk about it. And I think that's something that Pat, I would call, like make a call appeal to pastors. It, when you talk about these things, do it in a way that you come across as someone who they can trust to come to because what you spoke about was something they could relate to. Well, thank you guys for, uh, for having this conversation. And, uh, there's, there's a lot, I've got a lot more questions I could keep asking you guys, but, um, I do, I have to go here before too long, so I should wrap it up. Uh, Darnell, you're on the East coast. So it's getting later for you as well. But yeah, thank you so much for, um, for spending this hour, hour and a half with me and um, for uh, for more conversation around this is particularly with Abram, the, uh, look up That Jesus Podcast. 
And uh, I think I think both the episodes you did with them would be what two to six months ago. So you might have to scroll back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will I will drop the links after the fact in the in the description of this live, but they're not there right now. If you want to go look it up, it's that Jesus podcast. I'm not sure if you can hear my kids out here, but they're uh, ready for me to get out of here. So anyways, thanks guys. I, I am honored to have, have you on and I'm sure I would love anybody watching this Facebook live. If you have more questions, if there was something that was said or shared that you weren't, you didn't quite understand, or maybe you would, you would have liked us to pick up on and we kind of just left it hang. I'd love to hear that. Drop it in the comments, send a, send a message to me and we can either continue the, the conversation in the comment thread or, uh, or pick it up at a later time in another, another live stream. Thank you, Darnell. Thank you, Abram. visit www.restorativefaithcollective.org. The second network is the Kingdom Outpost, where we talk about what it looks like to live as Jesus's nation in today's world. For more podcasts and articles, visit kingdomoutpost.org. Thanks for listening.